This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to Executive Leaders Radio. In this hour, you'll hear directly from our region's finest business leaders. Through each of the interviews, these high-achieving leaders become reliable Relatable role models who share how they were able to build their enterprise, their personal secrets of success, about leadership styles and opportunities that lie ahead. Prepare to be inspired and entertained and to hear wisdom unheard elsewhere. Executive Leaders Radio. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio, broadcast in Northern Virginia. This is your host, Herb Cohen, with my co-hosts, Mark Haas, Association for Enterprise Growth, Joe Applebaum, Potomac Companies, Les Small and Vistage, Katie Brewer, the Brewer Group, and Hank Boyer, Boyer Management. Uh, Mr. Smolin, can you please give us a rundown of who we have on the air today, please? We've got Wendy Kessel, CEO and founder at CFO Restart, Trainer Williams, CEO at Socially Determined, Herman Bowles, Vice Chairman Americas, Jones Lang LaSalle, and Lee Fredrickson, Energy Partner Hinge. Let's get to our first guest, Wendy Kessel, who's CEO and founder of CFO Restart. Wendy, what is CFO Restart? What are you guys doing? We're a CFO services, bookkeeping, and HR company. Uh huh. Where are you from originally? Monrovia, Maryland. How many brothers and sisters? I have one little brother. And uh, tell me a little bit about what was going on with you, eight to 14 years old. Oh, uh, eight to 14, we were super poor. And basically, I was, uh, you know, hanging out, planning backyard kickball games in my free time and mm-hmm. reading books as anything that I could get a hold of, rereading books over and over because we, didn't really have a lot of materials around to read. Mm-hmm. And um, I started babysitting when I was 12. Yeah, what were you doing? What, what did you do different than normal babysitters? Well, the company, uh, the people that I worked for, they had a business, a gas station that did tow calls. And essentially during the evening time when I would work there, babysitting their seven-year-old and their three-year-old, um, they would turn off the phones at the gas station and they would ring at the house. So I would dispatch tow calls starting when I was 12. Oh, so at the age of 12, you were helping run a business as opposed to just, in addition, doing the babysitting. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Lester? Yeah, um, uh, mom and dad, what was mom doing? Mom uh, was working a bunch of jobs, trying to keep the family going. Dad wasn't working. So um, he would work in, when the weather was good. He did construction. But in the winter, he, would, uh, have, he had some seasonal issues with uh, health. Mm-hmm. He would um, not be able to work. And Your mom worked pretty hard, you said. I think you said yeah. she had like three jobs. Yeah, she was a secretary. She worked at a restaurant, and then she um, did other odd jobs. So was that she around? She wasn't around. She did as much as she could. Like She would take the opportunity to go on any field trip she could go to and things like that, but she really wasn't home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so how are you like her? I work really hard and um, tr- take care of my kids. But at the same time, make sure that, you know, we have the money to do what we need to do. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. Hank. So you told, told us that mom was away working and you had a younger brother, I think, four years younger, Jack. Uh, what was your role with him? I was really kind of a second mom, just making sure that he had what he needed, helping him with homework and things like that. Who told you to do that? Uh, no one. Hmm. So what, what did you do? Give me an example of something you did to mother him. To help him along. I was always trying to help him with homework because literally he hated doing his homework <laughs> as most little so, boys. So how, how does that affect what you do today? Well, what do I have to do with what you guys do? So I think that um, the translation to what I do now is that I really help my, biz- my uh, small businesses that I take care of to figure out what's going on in their numbers, why their financials aren't quite right, what's happening um, so that they can move forward and succeed just yeah, like it I sounds yeah it's like yeah like you were taking care of your brother you're trying to take care of your clients mark is there a, a family story or something that that you remember or that uh that, that people tell kind of reflects you know where you were at the time well um i used to go down to my grandma's bank and plan what i was gonna type on the typewriter at her office she worked at a bank down in gaithersburg and we would go there on fridays and my parents would get their checks cashed and uh, I would go there and play with all of her office equipment and, you know, use her stapler and things like that. And I thought it was really cool. So what, is, what does that mean you plan, planned it out? 
I would just think about what I wanted to type, what would look really cool typed what, out. What's all that stuff have to do with what you're doing nowadays? Well, that's what I do. I really plan what I help. I help so much of business when uh, the small business owners that we help, they are so great at what they do for a living, whatever their product or services that they bring to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. But the part about, you know, how am I going to get this from where I am now to where I want to go? What am I going to do when bad things happen? Like what's going on with COVID right now? All those things, they need to have plans in place so that they're Excellent. ready to go. When Katie? What was your role with the neighborhood in terms of getting people together? Um, I was a huge kickball tournament planner. So uh, we had a big yard and we didn't have any money, so we couldn't do any of the organized sports. So essentially I would just, you know, walk over to all the neighborhood kids and tell them, hey, we're having a kickball game. Come on over, you know, and my mom would bring out some, you know, water and give us. How did you, how did you decide to do that? I just, I guess I was bored and needed something to do. So I, I couldn't read all the time. And then how does that relate to what you do today? Totally. I, I have to be, have a lot going on in order to feel like I'm being um, myself. You know, the more that I have going on, the better. Were you aware of the sense of responsibility that you were taking on as a young kid there? I don't think so. I think it was just natural. I just wanted to, to be involved. I wanted to, to, you know, help people. And that's really what we do at CFO Restart. We help companies get their financial side in order, streamline operations, and things like that. And then what, do you, what did you do when you weren't with your friends? Um, so just like I said, reading. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. My grandparents really raised me. And uh, well, they would come get me on the weekends. And they would come see us every Wednesday. So I would go spend the weekend with my grandparents, come back, be at my parents a couple of days, and then go to grandma would come Wednesdays and bring us food. You, you, you mentioned that um, your grandparents used the words understood you. What are you, what are you talking about there? Well, I don't know. My parents didn't really know how to deal with me because I read so much and I was always pushing so hard. Like, I guess I wasn't really comfortable with where we were. Like, I felt like they kind of let me down, right? We're, we don't have what we should have. Like, why isn't dad working? Why does mom have to work three jobs and we're still poor, right? This doesn't make any sense. There's got to be something easier. So for me, like when I would go to my grandparents, things just seemed so much more organized and they were, they had money, but they saved it and they'd, they'd be very careful what they, what they spent. And my grandfather worked three jobs when he was a young man so that his wife could stay home and take care of the children. And then when he retired, my grandma took over and she worked really hard at a bank um, as an assistant manager taking care of things. So seeing how they worked and seeing the order orderliness of their life made me feel like, okay, that's what I want. I want to, you know, be happy and be, uh, feel like I have what I need. I have enough food. I have a comfortable life. And, and so I loved spending time with them and they were so good about understanding who I am and that my need for learning and my need for education. And they really supported me. My parents supported that too, but I think that for them it was different because they, um, they just, they just did what they always knew how to do. So for me, isn't that what you're doing with your clients? Isn't that what you're doing for your clients, Wendy? Definitely. We, there's always, there's this whole realm of achieving something that you don't even think is even a possibility that you could get to. And until someone proposes it to you, which is what I think my grandparents did for me, kind of give me this opportunity to see how things really could be. And I give my clients that opportunity to see, okay, well, if you do this and if you plan and if you track your revenues in this manner and if you check your expenses and set up these programs and streamline things, then where you could be in one year or two years or five years is so much better than where you are right now. It sounded to me earlier like you were their big sister. It sounds to me, though, like you're their grandmother. Yeah, that could quite possibly be that. Uh, yeah, because she had such a huge influence on me. It brings, you, it brings you joy, doesn't it, helping your clients? I really love it. I mean, like one of the other people that we had talked to earlier, you know, I, I've been very successful. I don't really have to work as hard as I do. I work so very hard, literally nonstop. But I, I do it because I, there's so many people that I can still help. And especially right now with what's going on with COVID, there's so many businesses that are suffering. So you, you're, you get fed. It's not for the money. It feeds you helping others. It feeds you helping business people. Yes. And the relationships. The relationships are so important to me. Literally, we go in and when we do our job well, which is always, right, we try very hard. Um, at the end, we kind of work ourselves out of a job. We get in there, we help them hire the right people, 
and we get to the point where they don't really need us that much anymore. And that's great because what, that's what we should be doing. But at the same time, I keep in touch with all my people and they, you know, they call me and they'll say, Hey, what's going on with this? What's going on with that? And so it's a great long-term situation. Yeah. It takes a lot of work in the beginning. And sometimes the expenses can be more than what we want them to be because it costs a lot to get things redirected. Right. But then what it ends up being is a long-term relationship where you're just on maintenance and we just kind of check in on you and make sure everything's good, review your financials and, and make sure you stay on track. Which, what's the website address for CFO Restart? CFORestart.com. C-F-O-R-E-S-T-A-R-T.com. Let me have that one more time. Sure. CFORestart.com. C-F-O-R-E-S-T-A-R-T.com. You've been speaking with Wendy Kessel, CEO and founder of CFO Restart here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com, and learn more about our executive leaders. It's executiveleadersradio.com. Back in a moment, right after this break. And your name and organization is? Kelly Waffle, Hinge, Mar- uh, Hinge Research Institute. And w- what is your role in the organization, Kelly? I'm the uh, managing director. So I work with a lot of people, a lot of clients to help them answer questions around growth, profitability, differentiation, how to brand themselves better. And it sounded earlier we were talking, you told me that your specialty is research. How young were you when research was showing up in your blood? Probably pretty early. So um, I would say I had some uh, family issues uh, around the ages of eight to 10 that led me to question why and how. Uh, Is that what I, you're bringing to your work nowadays? That's exactly what I bring to my and work. What's the website address of your organization? Hingemarketing.com. Let me have that one more time. Hingemarketing.com. We've been speaking with Kelly Waffle, Heads of Digital Strategy at Hinge Marketing here on Executive Leaders Radio. And your name and organization is? Hi, I'm Karen Stanzik. I'm with CFO Restart. I'm a CPA and also the marketing manager. And uh, what's your role in that organization? What do you actually do? Uh, I help Wendy with the marketing, but I also have the CPA responsibilities for our largest client. Tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what was going on with you 8 to 14 years old. Well, I grew up in suburban South Jersey. Uh, I hung out with my girlfriends. We played kickball. We rode bikes. And we uh, tried to stay out of trouble. Mm -hmm. What's all that stuff have to do with what you're doing nowadays? Well, I've always been working with uh, women and helping them organize and achieve their goals. Tell me a little bit more about that. uh, that. How's that affecting you nowadays? Well, I particularly like working with young women. I have a daughter. I uh, have good relationships with her friends. Uh, there are a lot of women that I work with at CFO Restart, uh, help them achieve their goals. So you really enjoy working with women to help them achieve their goals. It sounds to me like that's what you're doing with your clients. Is that fair to say? Uh, it is. Uh, my coworkers are mainly female in the area that I work, but uh, I work with a lot of younger uh, project managers and helping them understand their businesses uh, works. So you're, you're really a collaborative kind of person. It's not like you're just numbers. You're not just a numbers person, but you really enjoy people and working with people to help them understand the numbers, it sounds like. Well, that's exactly. I mean, I used to tell people, they'd say, oh, I got all these reports. And I said, you know, I said, no, the report doesn't come first. First comes the problem. The report helps you solve it. What's the website address of your organization? It's CFORestart.com. Let me have that one more time. CFORestart.com. We've been talking, speaking with Karen Stanzik, Marketing Manager of CFO Restart here on Executive Leaders Radio. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. And we would like to introduce Trenner Williams, who's the CEO of Socially Determined. Trenner, what is Socially Determined? What are you guys doing? We're a healthcare analytics company that's focused on being able to quantify how food insecurity, housing instability, economic strain impact individuals and families and their health and healthcare outcomes. How did you get a job with this company? Uh, I founded the company three and a half years ago. Uh-huh. Where are you from originally? Roanoke, Virginia, Star City of the South. How many brothers and sisters? I have one younger brother who's three years younger. Uh-huh. And how young were you when you started making money? 12 years old. Doing what? What were you doing and uh, what did you do different than the other kids? Uh, I was bussing tables at a uh, three-story restaurant in Roanoke. Um, the owner was a friend of my father's. My father managed the restaurant off and on, and I worked myself and the owner's two, two kids. 
Uh huh. What, what what did you learn about your What did you learn about yourself while you were twelve years old, thirteen, fourteen, bussing tables at that restaurant? A couple of things: I think strong work ethic um, and the the ability to get paid when you when you work uh, was important. I also learned uh, and I think solidified my being an extrovert and being around people, and that gave me energy, not took it away. I, I felt more energized after the end of a night. Uh, than I did when I walked in the door. Why would you feel more energized at the end of the night as opposed to uh, when you walked in the door? Yeah, I think the interaction, um, especially a kid, 12 years old, in the midst of adults at that time, I thought 24-year-olds were adults, to be clear. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, just being around, being part of the conversation uh, and being in the mix Mm -hmm. made me feel good. Hank? Tell us about the biggest influences in your life. Was that mom and dad or another relative? Uh, it was both of my parents who were very different, but both had significant influence on me. So what does mom do? Uh, my mom is now a retired social worker. Um, she ran Meals on Wheels and the League of Older Americans Area Agency on Aging for 32 years in Southwestern Virginia. And, and she was an early to bed person, right? She was uh, very much an introvert in bed at 8 or 9 p.m. with a book in hand. Why, why did she do that? Um, I, I think being around other people sucked energy away from her. Um, she's the exact opposite in that respect of who I am. So what did you learn from her in that process that you take to work with you every day? Two things. One, I think, is the discipline around work. She started work early, has always worked, retired at 72 years old. The other is the work that she did was focused around vulnerable people um, and being mm. able to provide support to them. So dad was a night owl. What did he do? Um, lots of everything. Uh, he never had a nine to five job literally in his life. He ran, uh, restaurants and bars, sometimes owned them, sometimes managed them. Uh, at different times he sold hotels, he sold shoes at, at some point. Uh, and eventually as he got older, was a wedding photographer in his sixties. So Trenner, when you're at work, what do you hear him whispering in your ear? So he was the extrovert and the connector. He was unbelievably gracious uh, and generous, uh, even when he didn't have you know, a dollar in his pocket. Lester? Uh, yeah, what happened uh, when you guys, when you were 12 years old, what happened yep. with the uh, IRS? Yeah, so I, I started working at 12. Um, the IRS uh, came and took our houses and our houses, our house uh, and a couple of cars. Um, we were fortunate. I never missed a meal, um, but I did need to go to work. Um, How did you feel about that at the time? You know, it's interesting. I, I think... Um, maybe a little scared, but not that much. I actually felt, I think, empowered, uh, ultimately. I felt um, the felt opportunity. empowered? I did. I think the opportunity to, to take um, some responsibility on myself um, to be, again, to earn money at that time was important to me. That it was my money that I worked for. Um, and you've had a couple of exits previously with businesses? Um, I sold a company, Clinovations, in 2014. Yeah. Yeah. You need to work anymore? Uh, fortunately, no. From a financial standpoint, um, I could have retired. Yeah. So why are you still working then? Uh, I think a lot of things. Uh, one, I, I love work. Um, it, it does. It brings me energy um, as, as part of that. I truly believe I slash we are making a real difference uh, in the world. And Frankly, I still take care of a lot of people, including my parents. Um, yeah. So I, Mark, I feel like I've got responsibilities. Mark? You went through a, sort of a tough time, tough situation as, as a kid. What brought you comfort as a child? It's interesting, Mark. Uh, it, it may be in retrospect that looked, or like on paper, it looks tough. I would argue that the opportunity at 12 to go work and be in that environment was, it did bring me comfort. It brought me joy. I think work uh, and sports, an unbelievable friend network um, was really important. What sports did you play? Uh, I grew up playing soccer. I played a lot of sports, but soccer was the primary sport. Um, What position did you play? I played goalie and played defense. How did you decide to play that that specific role? Yeah, I I think goalie and and defense both. um, The personality trait that if you stop a goal, if you stop the ball from going in the back of the net, you can't lose. And so that taking on that personal responsibility, um, I think really resonated with me. What's that have to do with who you are nowadays is not wanting to lose, making sure you can't lose. Yeah, I, I think I left, I was a family 
practice doc who left. Um, so I, I did my residency training and practiced in California. And I left a medical director job in 2003 to join a consulting firm, having no idea what I was doing. And I think I learned a long time ago um, that I could take risks and bet on myself and rely on myself um, to be able to do that. And so I've been able um, to learn that trade, start a company, sell a company, and, and start a new one. So you you understood one of them. It sounds to me like your nature was to make sure that you could earn a living, yeah. which was the doc stuff. But yeah. you got some confidence in yourself that you really could bet on yourself. This is the mom and the dad. So, I mean, I, I think I ended up in medical school and in family medicine because of my mom um, and being, again, disciplined and, and doing that work and leaving a full-time medical director job uh, is my dad and taking the entrepreneurial leap uh, as part of that. Hank? So you're, you're a parent today. You've got uh, Charlotte and Stella. What are they teaching you about being an effective leader? It's uh, a great question. Um, I think to listen first um, and to be thoughtful, um, to be consistent um, in, in how you teach. Um, I think they also, kids teach you humility uh, on a pretty consistent. Why is that important? <laughs> um, I, I think in the work that we do, especially when you're starting a company, um, it is almost impossible to do without humility. I mean, I, you've got to be able to sweep the floors and open the doors for people uh, in the morning and get coffee, right? And, and no, yeah, but you're the boss, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's why you should do it um, so that we're all in it together. Uh -huh. Yeah, I got a question here. I'm just, help me, help us make the connection. You've had a, a career or at least a passion around food and you also have yep. this thing around, well, your mother, the way I would characterize the way I'm hearing it is that the, those less uh, fortunate or those more vulnerable, which is the yep. healthcare aspect of taking care of others. Yeah. So what's the connection between the food and, and, and taking care of those, you know, that uh, are perhaps more vulnerable? Yeah. What you're doing nowadays for a living. Sure. So, so I would consider, and lots of people do, food is medicine. Um, and so specifically, clinical diseases are impacted like diabetes and heart failure by food. I think more broadly, um, vulnerable people, so people without economic means are making choices every single day, like whether they put food on the table for them or for their kids. Um, and they may be choosing not to get their medicines refilled as part of that, the choices that people make. And so there are unbelievable resources that are out there nowadays. We're able to help quantify and identify people who are at risk in places that are risky and being able to link those vulnerable people to resources that actually make a difference is incre incredibly rewarding. When did you become aware of that somewhere between eight and 14, that that was something that connection existed for you? Yeah, I, I think one growing up in the restaurant space. So, you know, I started at 12, I worked in 18 restaurants over the course. And so being around the food industry and the family and seeing the joy, right, that food brings people. And then going through, again, medical school and residency, um, it wasn't until about eight or nine years ago when working with some national nonprofits like Share Strength, No Get Hungry Here, um, that I really made the link between the two. Um, mm. It's been so important. Uh, what, what's the website address of this organization known as Socially Determined? Sociallydetermined.com. We've been speaking with Trenner Williams, CEO of Socially Determined, here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders. That's executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders. And we just spoke with Trenner Williams, CEO of Socially Determined, the website sociallydetermined.com. And we will be back in a moment right after this break. And your name is... Jeff Lawson. And Jeff, what organization are you with? I'm with Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And what do you guys do? What kind of stuff are you doing that's special? Well, we manage uh, conference centers and hotels, and we're currently managing the National Conference Center in Leesburg, Virginia. National Conference Center. How large or how small is this organization? Um, the conference center itself is 900 rooms in size, 350,000 square feet of meeting space, dining facilities for 850, uh, exercise facility all set on 61 acres of land. Wow, this is a large organization, isn't it? It is, very large. Uh huh. And what's your role in the organization? I'm the general manager, and I have oversight of the uh, property and all the hospitality services that occur. Well, what's the general manager supposed to do with this large facility? 
make sure I have a, make sure eight executive committee members and a, and a full uh, staff of 210 do their daily jobs. So how many folks do you have running through your halls on a weekly basis or daily basis or annual basis? What's that look like? Well, on a weekly basis on a full house, we'll have uh, 900 per night, um, seven nights, uh, 6,300, which translates to about 20,000 meals a week. Wow. And uh, your job, are you working nine to five or do you end up having to work evenings and early mornings and weekends and stuff like that? No, I'd say I'm always on duty. Uh-huh. Do you, what, what do you enjoy about your job? Meeting people, working with some of the finest hospitality people in Virginia, which is my team, and meeting our clients because they're wonderful. So you're helping your clients plan their events? Well, we help plan. Uh, they are there for some form of education that goes on at one end of our business, and at the other end of our business, they're there for social catering events, uh, weddings and such. So you're, you're, well, you're running a 24 by 7 facility, aren't you? We are. Uh-huh. What's the website address of this organization? Conferencecenter.com. Let me have that again. Conferencecenter.com. And your name again is? Jeff Lawson. And the name of the organization? Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And this has been your Business Spotlight. Recognize your deserving business advisors on our nation's leading Business with Heart radio show, Executive Leaders Radio. Yes, recognize, you can recognize your deserving business advisors on our nation's leading Business with Heart radio show, executiveleadersradio.com. Simply visit executiveleadersradio.com, securely enter their info, and we'll reach out to spotlight your deserving business advisors on our nation's leading Business with Heart radio show, executiveleadersradio.com. Don't wait. This radio and online social media and search engine exposure is quite valuable. Yes, this radio and online social media and search engine exposure is quite valuable. To your business advisors who deserve to be recognized, visit executiveleadersradio.com now to nominate your deserving business advisors for free exposure. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen, and we'd like to introduce Herman Bowles, who's the Vice Chairman Americas of Jones Lang LaSalle. Herman, what is Jones Lang LaSalle? What are you guys doing? Uh, JLL is an international uh, real estate services and investment firm. And tell me a little bit about uh, how large or how small is this organization? $16 billion in revenue in 2019, and we have approximately 95,000 employees. Whoa, it's a large organization. Where are you from originally? Florence, Alabama, next to Muscle Shows. Florence, Alabama. And how many brothers and sisters do you have? I'm the youngest of seven. Four sisters, two brothers. Youngest of seven, growing up in Alabama. And uh, what was going on with you 8 to 14? Uh, 8 to 14 was an interesting time. I was observing my mother uh, not only work uh, two or three jobs as a domestic and a cook, but also going back to school to get her GED, as well as going to community college and becoming an LPN and uh, participating in sports and uh, did a little Boy Scouts. All right, so so you, your mom, and didn't you mention your dad passed when you were a kid, so that's why your mom was a single mom? Yes, he died in a uh, truck accident uh, before I was born. Before you were born. All right. Oh, boy. And um, you, you mentioned that the, uh, tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up as a black kid in America at that point in time in the South. Well, you know, I have three kids now, and I try to explain to them sometime the uh, injustice of going to a movie theater and having a side door you have to go through and only being able to see the movie in the balcony. Being at a public place and seeing a water fountain that said colors only, um, going to a restaurant and eating, and um, not being able to go in and sit down, but going to the back to get your food and eat it in the car or eat it at home. I mean, those are some of the indignities that gotcha. I certainly remember. Hank, why don't you find out about the growing up on the farm? So you grew up on a farm. I think you said that you spent your first 12 years there. What was, what was a day like on the farm? Well, the, uh, uh, the day was like, uh, you know, you grew your own food. Uh, you had your own meat. Uh, the neighbors helped out with everything and uh, a true community. Sounds like a lot of hard work. Well, you know, I was... Eight, nine, ten. So certainly, uh, my brothers and sisters tell me I didn't work as hard as they did. But uh, you know, you did so what you had to do. They stick you with. They stick you with all the tough jobs. Yeah, I mean, I, can, I I certainly remember we'd be at the table, and obviously, those of you on the farm know that you grow your own stuff. They'd say, "We need a tomato." Uh, Toby, that's my nickname. Go out and get a tomato. So, what does that have to do with your current role as vice chairman of Americas? 
Well, I think you learn that you do what needs to be done. Uh, I think it also means you lead by example and you don't have to be in charge to lead. Mm -hmm. Lester? Yeah. Um, how old were you when you moved to the city? What you call the city was Florence, right? That's right. Uh, around 12, seventh grade. How, uh, what kind of an impact did that have on you? Well, certainly going from a country school to somewhat of a bigger school, you had to learn to make friends again. And uh, fortunately, through somewhat of a personality that God gave me and some athletic ability, I made the basketball team and I became one of the end kids, so to speak. Were, were you in a school that was uh, integrated or not? Uh, integration had just started, so uh, it was integrated. But, uh, you know, the African-Americans were definitely in the minority. So how did that make you feel back then? Uh, you know, it made me feel okay, because uh, when there's a meritocracy, I think everybody in the world loves a meritocracy, because I had Didn't the opportunity to compete. You were the quarterback on the football team, and you ended, ended up actually becoming the student council president? Uh, that is true, and in the uh, mid-70s, being a quarterback in the South uh, was not something that, was, uh, that happened very often. So uh, this was in the large league of, think of Friday Night Lights. The black so you, quarterback in you stood me. out. I would say I did. How'd you How'd you do that? What What would you do to end up being the, the the black quarterback, especially at that period of time? Uh, everything I think comes down to uh, talent and effort, and I think I had some talent, but I had more effort. And what's that have I've to do with your What's that have to do with your role nowadays? As uh, it says here, you're the vice chairman of Americas of Jones Lang LaSalle with ninety five thousand people. Well, as a uh, leader in a large organization with, uh, you know, uh, who's who of clients, you don't do a lot as a leader. But what you have to do is influence and encourage others to do things as a leader. And I think that's what we all do as leaders. And I think I learned that at an early age in sports and perhaps being a minority helped me have that sensitivity. How? Was it? How? Uh, you notice things that perhaps others take for granted. Uh, you're more keen to notice uh, someone, you ever go into a meeting and watch and perhaps somebody doesn't say anything. That doesn't mean they don't know anything. It means that you need to create an environment so you can get full contribution from everyone around the table. In other words, you want to be inclusive. Very inclusive. Mm -hmm. Mark? So you had, a, you had a busy childhood, a lot going on. How did you spend your alone time? Uh, you know, probably uh, dreaming, thinking about uh, things, not necessarily. One of my favorite quotes is, uh, you know, you certainly don't think about the way things are. Think about the way things can be. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, for some reason, President Kennedy, I remember that as a little kid. And uh, that has influenced me my entire life. As a matter of fact, I have a plaque in my office right now. Well, how's that influenced you? What are you talking about? Well, some people think of things that uh, as they are and others think of things that can be. And I'm, uh, I've started two or three companies. I'm always looking to the future. Uh, I uh, may not be good at it, but I'm a visionary. Gotcha. Katie? How young were you when you started earning money? Uh, probably about nine or 10 years old. Uh, and what caddying. were you doing? Caddying? caddying? Caddying at the country club. And then what did you do differently than the other kids who were caddying? You know, I think I learned how to uh, anticipate. Uh, I would see the clubs. I didn't know anything about golf. My older brothers and sisters worked at the country club. And you would notice, well, when the ball gets under green, pull the putter out and pull the putter out. When they go into the sand, get that thing called the wedge out. And just. And how does the anticipation uh, play out in your current role? Any leader, if you can't anticipate, right, you got to go not where the puck is. You got to anticipate where the puck's going to be. And that's where you've got to go. Lester, yeah, where did, uh, how did West Point come into this picture for you? I was recruited uh, to play football there. As a matter of fact, all of the academies recruited me. And, and uh, is that what you wanted to be known for, or was that just the way to get into something, to get out of where you are? Well, as a 17-year-old kid in the South, with everybody telling you how great you're going to be, that's a really lonely dream at night because you're a little afraid because people are telling you these things. And as I looked at the challenge of West Point, I said, hey, it's a challenge, and uh, I think I can do that, and I want the challenge. That's a lot of confidence. I, I call it confidence or stupidity. I don't know. <laughs> how, do you, uh, how do you recharge? How did you recharge then, and how do you recharge now? I recharge now about uh, thinking about – 
you know, what, what, what can be. I'm always looking at the positive sides and, and looking at the upside. So I spend a lot of time thinking. Okay, that's, that's in your head. What do you do sort of physically to recharge? How do you spend your, your time? Well, I'm a golfer I, to this day, and thanks for that caddying uh, opportunity. And uh, I also work out. I think a healthy body complements a strong mind, and it's important to keep both your mental and physical conditioning sharp. Well, what, what, what do you find meaningful? I find meaningful at this point. I've been uh, probably more successful uh, from a financial as well as societal point. than uh, Not that I imagined, because I've always had the confidence that it was going to work out. But I find meaningful at this point um, giving back. I have three grandchildren, uh, spending time with them. I have uh, three sons. Uh, two of them went to West Point and Duke for MBA. So just having – it's not necessarily what you do, particularly as a parent. I think a parent's role is what do you do for those people that you bring into this world. Was and that's all the work. Was there someone other than between being a um, between being the uh, vice chairman of America's Jones Lang LaSalle and being a dad? Similarity. The similarity is that you lead by, by example. Another one is that at times you have to give tough love. What are you talking about? What do you mean? Tough love. You got to tell people how it is. As humans, we have a tendency to want to talk about all of the good stuff, but it's also important that uh, we talk about the elephants on the table. Mm -hmm. We've been speaking with um, Herman Bulls, Vice Chairman America's Jones Lang LaSalle. What, what's the website address, Herman, of Jones Lang LaSalle? JLL.com. Let me have that one more time. JLL.com. We've been speaking with Herman Bowles, Vice Chairman America's Jones Lang LaSalle, here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com. To learn more about our executive leaders, that's executiveleadersradio.com. To learn more about our executive leaders, and stick around. We'll be back in a moment right after this very short break. This is John Schuhart. Join us, joining us for our business spotlight is Barry File. Who are you with, Barry? I'm with Celebrate Fairfax, a yeah. 501c3 nonprofit in Fairfax, Virginia. And what do you do with uh, Celebrate Fairfax? I am very fortunate to be the president and CEO of the organization. So what does Fairfax, or excuse me, Celebrate Fairfax do? We have a mission to celebrate Fairfax County and its communities. We serve the 1.1 million people who live in the county, and all, as well as all the people who uh, visit and work there. So uh, what do you enjoy about working at Celebrate Fairfax? It is the best job in the world. It is. We come to work every day, my team and I. And we get to prepare and plan and produce events for 75,000, 100,000 people. And we treat them like, we think of them like, like they're our, our friends. So, so we get to come in and just plan great events for them. What makes those events so special? We try to be unique uh, within this region especially, but we're always trying to stretch the envelope of what people expect from events. People go to events because they want to have great experiences. And for us, we are always trying to give them that return on investment because they're not giving us necessarily a lot of money when they come to our event, but they are giving us their time and their energy, and that's an important thing. People want that ROI back. So did you ever think you'd be doing this when you were a kid? No, never. I, I think that when I was a kid, I, I, was, I was building things, designing things, and somewhere along the line, I fell into events and realized that it was a natural extension for me, that I just loved producing things. So what was it about being a kid that led you to this? Um, I think that it was just the challenges that were there. I always tried to figure out solutions to problems that didn't exist, and uh, that's what we do now. It's, it's the same principle. So when did you first start overcoming big challenges as a kid? Uh, I think I always was. Uh, I think that uh, I lived in a household with two older kids, parents who had their own things going on, and I think for me, I just always uh, tried to find my own way. What's your website? Our website is CelebrateFairfax.com. This is John Schuart, and this has been your Business Spotlight. I'm Tina Leone. I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District. And what is the Boston Business Improvement District? We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet, 
the first satellite, all were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston. How, how old is this organization? We're just, just shy of six years old. How long have you been there? How long have you been uh, almost six years as well. Did you found this organization? Yes, I, I am the founding CEO. Why did you do that? Well, they, the, the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners in why, Boston. Why, why, why does it turn you on? Why does your gig turn you on? <laughs> people. I mean, we the, the, the ability to connect people and then who knows the next great idea is going to result from that. We have incredible minds in the Washington, D.C. area, and Boston is, as I said, the epicenter for the smartest people in this area. So your job, you're like the master connector. I feel like the mayor of, of Boston, the mayor of innovation, because that's uh-huh. what's happening. So your idea, your, your thought is in order to create more stuff, in order to launch more businesses, in order to cause more good, it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people. Exactly. And you like being in the middle of all that I, stuff. Oh, we love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events, through art, uh, through a happy hour. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's going to come out of that. Mm-hmm. That's what's exciting. So it's all about the people. And you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization. Is this a nine to five kind of job? Oh for you? hell no! It's a lot longer uh-huh. than that, baby. So do you have to do you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, sure, sure. Let me have the website address of this sure, organization. Bostonbid.com, and, and you can download Boston Connect mobile app. Let me have uh, let me have that website address one more Boston time. Bostonbid.com. It's B A. Give me the spelling on that. B A L L S T O N B I D dot com. Excellent. Your name again is Tina Leone. And the name of the organization is the Balsam Business Improvement District. And this has been your business spotlight back in a moment. And your name is Ramon Parker. And Ramon, the name of the organization Loudon Free Clinic. And you were telling me there's some something special about the Loudon Free Clinic where every dollar that goes in does something else. What was that all about? Yeah, it does something magical. So for every dollar that's donated to our clinic we can deliver $8 worth of care. And what kind of clinic is this? Who are, you, who are you helping out? What kind of stuff do you guys do? So we're helping out those who are 18 to 64 who are uninsured and low income, 200% or below the federal poverty level. And give me this thing about the math again. Give me how that works. So essentially, I have a, a staff of 12 individuals and 128 volunteers. So with that kind of payer mix, I'm able to deliver, you know, anywhere from $8 uh, in care for our patients. Because you've been able to enroll the support of so many volunteers, you're actually keeping the cost of health care down, and therefore multiplying the dollars. And making one of, it, one of the best business investments for private corporations who want to invest. And didn't, ah, interesting. So private businesses and individuals can get involved. And didn't you Absolutely. tell me you had a couple of health care challenges yourself? What were they? I have. I've had four open heart surgeries, and it helps me to understand what patients need. What are you talking about? What do you mean? So the idea of having been on the table or being a patient, I'm able to take a patient focus in how we deliver care differently than most people would. What did you you learn from those experiences personally? What do you appreciate that most of us don't? I appreciate consistency. Um, I think that a a staff at the hospital, nurses, providers, Mm -hmm. parents, Mm -hmm. family, all those people consistently being around me and consistently offering me hope. Uh, I'm so full of it that I have to offer that to the patients and to the staff when I'm working with them. What's the website address for the Loudon Free Clinic? Loudonfreeclinic.org. Let me have that one more time. L-O-U-D-O-U-N freeclinic.org. We've been speaking with your name again? Ramon Parker. And this has been your business spotlight. Thank you. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. And we'd like to introduce Lee Fredrickson, who's managing partner of Hinge. Uh, Lee, what is Hinge? What are you guys doing? We do branding and marketing for professional services firms, such as accounting firms, lawyers, architects, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And tell me a little bit about uh, where you're from and how many brothers and sisters. Well, I grew up on a farm in southern Minnesota. I was the youngest of three children, but uh, my brother and sister were both eight and 12 years old, so I was kind of the afterthought that came along later. Mm-hmm. Hank? You uh, grew up on a farm. How big was your farm? Uh, 240 acres. It was a family farm, uh, and of course, uh, you know, uh, at so that you time, to- everybody worked. You had to work away from mom and dad and being on your own. What did you do when something broke down and you were stuck there, you know, two miles from home? Well, it was further than two miles, so you weren't even going to walk back. You had to figure out how to fix it. So problem solving, you kind of, uh, that's the way you grew up. Uh, You see a problem, how do you solve it? What does that have to do with what you do today for Hinge Marketing? Well, that's exactly what I do today. 
solve problems for our clients for your, and for clients. internally leading the organization. So when you were on the farm and you had a major crisis, tell us what that a major crisis that came up eight to 14 for you. Uh, the, uh, I think probably the biggest crisis was when I lost my parents uh, in an auto accident and then in a heart attack. And I think that really taught me to be independent. How does that help you instill a sense of peace right now during the crisis that businesses are having today? I think once you learn, once you cope with things on a certain magnitude, you learn that everything else can be managed. Everything else can be solved. Lester? Yeah, what was uh, mom doing? My mom was a nurse, and she would be called like a home health nurse today. Uh, and my dad, of course, was a farmer. What impact did your mom have on you? I think she was uh, the one that kind of uh, had the big value for education. Although my uh, dad was also big into education, but he never yeah. got a degree because, uh, you know, he lost his father during the Depression. So, so it, your mom's value, the emphasis on education, how did that translate for you today? Well, it translated all the way and it uh, propelled me through school to get a PhD. That's, a, that's the amount of inertia that it had. Meaning you weren't um, supposed to be working on the farm? No, I was sort of the one who was going to go to school because my brother and sister uh, never did get advanced degrees. And so the joke was always that uh, because I was born so late, my mother was so old that I was either going to be retarded or a genius. And to this day, they say, we can't figure out which it was. Yeah, but you went on and got an advanced degree as well. I did. Was that overcompensation or was that just a drive to instill this educational seed in you to, to excel as much as you could that way? It's a great question. I think part of it is the drive, but it's also, you know, trying to figure out what my role was in life. What kind of a person really was I? Mm -hmm. And what about your dad? Because you had mentioned that he dropped out of college. I don't know if that was a significant thing for him or not. Did it impact you? Well, he had to drop out of high school, actually. Uh, I think it did. I think he always wished he would have. He was a big reader and wished he would have been able to go to college, but never could. So How are you like him? Uh, I think both entrepreneurial, you know, when you grow up on a farm, you're sort of a natural entrepreneur because it really depends on factors that are beyond your control and you have to figure out how to deal the hand, how to play the hand you're dealt as it were. Katie? Everybody, everybody takes things from their family and their, and their hometown. What are the values that you grew up with that you still hold on to? I think education is one of them. Self-reliance is very strong, and uh, this is a community where you help each other out. So having your neighbors and friends back was very important, and I, I see those things have been values throughout my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Given that you were so much younger than your brothers, um, brother and sister, how young were you when you realized you were a leader? Uh, boy, it didn't happen till later because, uh, you know, when you're growing up on a farm, you don't have a lot of people to lead. <laughs> it's only when I got into the situation that I realized that I had that kind of a talent and a knack for listening to people and understanding what they needed. Where did that come from? How did you learn that? I don't know. It's just been there from the very beginning. I think it's kind of one of those things that's part of who you are and how you got, uh, how you got raised. How did you stand out as a kid? Uh, I always have used humor as a way of standing out. And of course, it's easy to get in trouble in high school with using humor, especially if you're good at one-liners. So uh, I found out that I had to be good in school to kind of keep me out of trouble. Why humor? Uh, I don't know. It's, a, again, a value that we had. Um, my father was uh, came from a Danish background and there's a lot of humor in his brothers and sisters, and that's what they do is they kind of poke fun at each other, and that's how you deal with tension and deal with things that are, you know, tragic even. Was, was that evident when you were growing up? Yes, I think so. It's what do you all, mean? All the way from the beginning. You always used humor as a way of, of reducing tension and communicating things that were hard to say. How do you create that same family environment at work with that humor? I would say that uh, the environment I'm looking for is not so much a family, but more of a team. We're different people with different kinds of values are together, and they're there voluntarily. I mean, in a family, you're stuck there because you got born there, but in a, you know, in a team, you join and you stay there because you're committed, 
and what you're getting from your teammates. And I, I think that's what I really learned, how to build a team. Well, what's the secret? I, I think the secret is really listening to people and understanding that people want to do the right thing if you can help them understand what the right thing really looks like. Hmm, how do you communicate that? How do you get that point across? I usually do it by asking questions. I find out that when you ask a question and a person answers it, they learn by answering your question. And I found out that that is truly the best way for someone to learn something that they're going to retain. So you, that, learn, you learned about patience. You're a patient, a patient leader. I am. Mm -hmm. And I think you get that from uh, being on a 60 John Deere going back and forth across the field for hours and hours and hours on end. You learn patience. Mm -hmm. And that allows you to really understand and develop a commitment between you and your individual teammates and the team amongst themselves. It does. Yes. And you learn to, and you learn to value other people too. So if you've got a, a lot of alone time, is there any kind of literary or cinematic figure that resonates with you? Uh, you know, I, I think we're talking probably about the cowboys on the own west alone out there on the big prairie. Uh, that's sort of what I grew up with. Mm -hmm. what, what about that? What, what was intriguing or, or uh, fulfilling about, did you imagine yourself as a cowboy? Uh, of course, when you're playing, it's... Uh, always playing with the uh, uh, little cowboys and so forth. But I, I think more than anything, it, it sort of taught you that individual self-reliance that uh, you rely on yourself. And if you do a good job, people will follow you. Is this the only child syndrome showing up for you when you were a kid because you had such an age disparity between you and your uh, siblings? Yeah, I was almost an only child really in uh, some ways growing up, but uh, <laughs> It was, uh, on the other hand, you really learned to appreciate having other people around when you didn't have them. What did you learn about yourself by being the only child that you use today? I, I learned I'm more comfortable around people. I don't like to be alone. And you learned how to listen. And That's right. one of the ways that you've learned how to lead is by asking the right questions because that way people learn. And you're also developing an understanding of what they know and how they know it. So you're able to keep everybody on track. So as opposed to a dictator, that's not your style, is it? That's right. That's exactly the opposite. Matter of fact, I've learned that I, I don't care for people who are authoritarian and uh, giving the orders. I care for someone who helps you learn and understand something. So you're motivated from within. But doesn't it take longer your way? Of course it does. But I think you get a better result. Yeah, Sometimes so you got to take a little longer to get it right. Yeah, it sounds to me like by taking, uh, by taking longer, it actually is shorter because you end up with commitment with each of the individual team members as well as the team amongst themselves because they feel understood. Right, exactly. There's no, uh, there's no quicker way to get it right than do it right the first time. Hmm, what's the <laughs> website address of this organization known as Hinge Marketing? It's hingemarketing.com. Let me have that one more time. Hingemarketing.com. We've been speaking with Lee Fredrickson, who's the managing partner at Hinge here on Executive Leaders Radio. Lester, could you please give us a rundown of who we've had the opportunity of speaking with today? Sure. We had Wendy Kessel, CEO and founder at CFO Restart, Trenner Williams, CEO at Socially Determined. Herman Bowles, Vice Chairman Americas, Jones Lang LaSalle, and Lee Fredrickson, Managing Partner at Hinge. All right, let's see. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, including Mark Haas, Association for Enterprise Growth, Joe Applebaum, Potomac Companies, Les Smolin Vistage, Katie Brewer, The Brewer Group, and Hank Boyer, Boyer Management, for giving me a hand structuring the questions, hopefully providing our listening audience, an educational and entertaining show. I'd like to thank our listening audience for listening. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a radio show. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders. It's executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders. Thank you for joining us today, and do have a nice day. 
Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Executive Leaders Radio, the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 AM. You can learn more about Executive Leaders Radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 AM. That's executiveleadersradio.com.